In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I guess I'm supposed to wish you a happy Ascension Sunday, but as much as our Lord's Ascension happened 40 days after Easter, the proper day on which to celebrate it seems naturally the 40th day after the day we celebrated Easter Sunday. I want to ask you a question just for you to ponder. If, if Ascension were celebrated not today, but three days ago on the 40th day of the Easter season, if that holy day of obligation bound us, would you have canceled your whole schedule? canceled school, told the office you wouldn't come in to work, and just set it aside as a a special day to go to church and to be with your family, the way you will tomorrow for Memorial Day? Hopefully you would. Hopefully that's how we spend Sundays. It's easier, obviously, to set aside everything and to dedicate that time to God and to family when everyone else is doing that. But we know perfectly well not everyone tomorrow is actually celebrating Memorial Day. They just happen to be taking advantage of it. So consider that. And as holy days of obligation do remain on the calendar on inconvenient days like August 15th, for instance, January 1st, consider how um, Memorial Day, what we'll do tomorrow, um, sets, a, sets a standard for how we should set aside the day. Some of you may have heard this last year, and if so, it's probably worth repeating. Some of you weren't here or, or forgot it, but let's Let's keep in mind the the scene that's happening on the event of our Lord's ascension. This isn't what I want to preach about, but it's worth worth it for background. After our Lord's arrest on, what day is that? Mm, Holy Thursday, good. And his death on what day? That's right, Good Friday. Okay, good. So get your timeline working. There's Thursday, Friday. He died on Friday. The second day was Saturday. The third day was Easter Sunday. From from the arrest on the night of Holy Thursday on, the, the apostles were terrified, afraid for their lives, probably antagonistic towards each other as well, especially towards Thomas and probably even towards Peter. And what were they saying about Judas? We know that on Easter Sunday, our first witnesses of the resurrection, the holy women, were told, instruct the apostles to go to Galilee. And the apostles had even been given a foreshadowing of that at the Last Supper. They didn't go to Galilee. They needed to see the tomb from themselves, which was permitted them. And then they believed. But still on the evening of Easter Sunday, and even a week later, they were still in the upper room and they were still locked up. They were still afraid. And they were still unable 
to do what the Lord had told them very simply to do, go to Galilee. That's where we will be with each other. A week after Easter, both historically and liturgically, our Lord visited them again, visited the 11, because Thomas was with them. He only visited the 10 on Easter Sunday. A week later, he visited the 11 and said to Thomas, do not remain in unbelief, but believe. You believe because you have seen. Blessed are those, blessed are those who believe without having seen. Those who will believe the witness of the apostles are blessed to be able to know the resurrection for trusting their witness. And the apostles should have believed as well if they had believed the witnesses who told them what had happened, but they didn't. Now, we benefit from their, from their lack of faith. It provides greater, perhaps even greater credibility to what they can say they saw. And then after that, there is very little room for us to say that the apostles were afraid. They were not locked up anymore after that Sunday after Easter. Then we hear about them encountering the Lord up at the Sea of Galilee, where they should have been in the first place. They see him at the, at the sea. He cooks food for them. And then come Ascension Thursday, he's with them at the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. No longer a place of tears, but a place of rejoicing. And that joy continues. How do you visualize that second glorious mystery of the rosary when you pray on that, when you meditate on it? Be sure that it corresponds with what sacred scripture tells us. Our Lord was taken up into heaven, and then were they afraid or were they rejoicing? They were rejoicing. You'll hear that from Luke's gospel. It's year C, so in two years on Ascension Sunday, who knows, maybe it'll be different by then you'll hear these words. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, raised his hands and blessed them. As he blessed them, he parted from them and was taken up to heaven. They did him homage and then returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. The last words of St. Luke's gospel. They were rejoicing. They were praising God in public. They were praying in private. They were discerning who needs to replace Judas. They were with Mary. They were with so many witnesses of the resurrection, prayerfully awaiting the fulfillment of the Lord's promise. We heard that today, Acts of the Apostles. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He enjoined them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And so they did, joyfully. 
Pentecost was not the moment when their fear was taken away from them, where all of a sudden they had courage. They had courage. They had joy. They were obedient to God. They were waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, to be clothed with power from on high, to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the scene. Now, why were they happy? Why were they rejoicing? What were they happy about? Did they even know what they were going to receive? Certainly over the course of the 40 days between Easter and Ascension, they had come to the profession that Christ really is God. He really has power over death. All of his promises will be fulfilled even when we find ourselves in the darkest moments and are tempted to despair. There's no need to anymore because we know he really is God. And so being taken away from them, our Lord leaves them in joy. They're, they're, they're confident. But they couldn't have fathomed what it meant that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. One of our most newly engaged couples in the parish found the opportunity to make the proposal and accept the proposal on a, on a very rainy day, kind of an unpleasant opportunity. He managed to cajole her and say, come on out, let's meet over by the tidal basin. No, I don't, why, it's raining, but it'll be, it'll be worth it, don't worry, come on. The apostles are walking towards Pentecost. They, they can't possibly imagine what is going to happen to them. And similarly, we are we are praying as God told us to pray and we're open to what he wants to give us and we really don't begin to understand. We just begin to understand what it will mean to be consumed by the love and the grace of God, to be transformed, not just into a faint likeness of, of God, but to become almost like God. Pray to receive not what you want. Pray to be open to receiving what God desires to give you. Last week we talked about the love of God, and the love of God is not simply uniform and generic. He doesn't love you the way he loves ants. He doesn't love ants the way he loves trees. He wills your good, and the more good that he can will you, the, the more love there is. He obviously loves God the Son more than he loves the whole universe combined. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, when you are baptized, when you are adopted by God and made an adopted son, a daughter of God, the good that God can will you is beyond description. The good that God is able to will and impart to you far surpasses any natural gift, any natural good. His purpose is not to make you an obedient creature who doesn't disobey him. His intention is to bring you high, far higher than the level of simply a rational creature. 
He wants to make you an adopted divine child so that St. Paul will say, we are almost like God. When he sees you then, when you are in the state of grace, he doesn't just see a creature he made, he sees God himself because God dwells in you. And so the love that you receive and mysteriously the love that you're able to return isn't just a love of creator to creation. It's the love between God the Father and God the Son. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings you back up into that divine mystery. When we teach a child to walk, we let them go and we take a few steps back. Otherwise, they'll never walk. When Christ wants you to know that he can dwell within you, he has to go away. Otherwise, you'll simply cling to his hand or cling to his face. You'll never even begin to be open to receiving the gift of him actually dwelling inside of you. And then the love affair takes a whole, whole new level of glory. Because this isn't just the divine loving the human. This is our being caught up in the life of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if you're praying the novena to the Holy Spirit for, for Pentecost, don't ask for something. Be open to whatever God wants to give you. Ask for the, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, not for your purposes, for God's purposes. If you're not praying the novena to the Holy Spirit, you can catch up. It, today's Ascension Sunday. When someone you dearly love, who's in your heart, is in heaven for certain, it can never be the case that both your feet are on earth. Maybe someone you knew and loved. Maybe a, a saint who's so much a part of your heart and your mind. And when you realize that, that God is your life, that Christ is your heart, when the Holy Spirit is your breath, then you should be mostly in heaven and rejoicing when you can't even see the Lord anymore because you, you know that what comes next is, is so far better. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.